Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Father, thank you for the precious people that have come out. One of the sweet sounds on Sunday morning for me personally as a person, as a Christian and as a pastor is to hear the church sing together with one voice to glorify our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful sound, and we all, we all don't have great voices, but when we sing as one, it's beautiful, Lord. And I know it is to you. And I pray right now over this um, land situation, if you would have us to go through this door, give us both faith and wisdom to know if you're opening the door for us and help us as a congregation to sense your leading We look for your provision in many ways, not only confirmation, but uh, your provision in other ways so that we can do this and do it the right way. Um, Father, we also just want to turn our hearts now to the Word of God, and we pray as we look at a message called Going Home Alive. We look at verses 1 through 12 in Acts 20. We see Paul's heart, his passion for the gospel, for mission. I pray that you would fire us up. Make us more alive maybe than we've ever been before. And for those who don't know you, may they be born again at this service. And for those who have been far away, may they rededicate their lives to you. So we just lay this time at your feet. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Acts 20, going home alive. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, and after the uproar had ceased, Acts 20, verse 1. It's always nice to see that uproar cease in life, you know. Some of you... uh, you feel like you're living in a constant uproar. Uh, life circumstances, sometimes just our schedules are crazy. We feel like lo- life is constantly in an uproar, but the uproar ceased, and Dr. Luke is writing about what occurred in Ephesus. And a couple of Sundays ago, we looked at that, and Paul was in Ephesus for the better part of three years. He was in this very immoral city, the city that was really dedicated to the Greek goddess Artemis or Diana, showed you some excavation pictures of that and all that. And when Paul began to preach the gospel, gods began to fall, gods with a small g. People began to forsake idolatry. Remember, they were bringing their occult books with spells and and the witchcraft, and they were burning it in public. They were confessing Jesus Christ openly, turning from their sin. And every time you move away from a false god or an idol, you go higher in your Christian life. Amen? Every time the Lord brings something to your attention and says, that needs to go. If you want to take me seriously in your walk, let that go. Burn that in the fire. Chuck that. Get rid of that. We go higher as Christians. And I know, uh, because uh, I've experienced this myself, that it's not an easy journey as a Christian some of you are new believers and you have, you've brought all this baggage into your Christian walk and you're wondering, man, shouldn't I have arrived by now? I've been a Christian for two months. I got news for you. It's going to be a process. In the first four years of my walk with Christ, I got saved at about the age of 20. It was a painful first four years. But as, as the God's small g, the false gods were going out of my life, God was bringing my spiritual life higher and higher. And I've, I've read about the image of the bags of sand being put out of a hot air balloon and every time a bag of sand goes, it raises higher. And I think that's what was happening in Ephesus. And I think there was great rejoicing and Paul had invested, remember he was at that school of Tyrannus and he was discipling people and ministering to people, but not everybody in Ephesus was happy. 
Demetrius the silversmith was not happy, probably the leader of the union of the silversmiths. And maybe they, they would make those little uh, uh, statues, dolls of Artemis. They weren't dolls. They were actually little statues. And during the month of Artemisia, a whole month in the spring dedicated to the Greek goddess Diana, they would have kind of like an ancient Mardi Gras and they would acclaim the goddess and they had to have parades into the theater. And Demetrius got the union workers for the silversmiths fired up and he says, this Paul says that gods made with hands are no gods at all. And he's in our pocket, and we don't like it. And you can know one thing, that when Christianity begins to affect the economy, people will take notice and people will get upset. If we as Christians just keep living like the world and keep giving our money to everything in the world, the world will have no problem with us. But once we start pulling our money from the economic things that don't honor God... Watch out. And that's when Demetrius got everybody fired up. And they went out. And remember, for two hours, the people in the mob, a big mob gathered. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And there were people that got in with the mob and they didn't even know why they were there. Hey, why are we here? I don't know, but uh, let's just shout. Great is Artemis. Great. Right? And for two hours, this went on. And they made their way to the theater. They've excavated that theater. It seats 25,000 people. We have a brother in our church that was there. He said, you stand on a disc in the middle of the theater, an ancient theater built thousands of years ago. He said, the acoustics are amazing. You stand on this little disc without amplification and everybody in the theater can hear your voice. Amazing. So Paul wanted to go into the theater. He said, I'm going in. It's an opportunity to preach. And his friends were pulling on his cloak. No, don't you go. And the city leaders were saying, no, don't go in there. Because if one person turns on you, this is going to get ugly. So they held Paul back. Some of the city leaders went in and said, calm down. This is not orderly. We don't want the Romans to get mad at us. And so everybody ended up dispersing. And the uproar had ceased. Now, if you were Paul, how quick would you get out of town? If you knew a whole theater people were focusing on you and what you had done to upset their town, how quick would you leave? But Paul didn't leave. I don't know if he was in hiding, but after the uproar ceased, verse 1, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he departed to go to Macedonia. If you have an NIV, it says, when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, the church at Ephesus, and after encouraging them, he said goodbye, and he set out for Macedonia. Now, one thing I want to just put out right out front is you know you need to know the situation paul is probably on his final farewell tour when he says goodbye to the people of ephesus he's not sure he's ever coming back you see the holy spirit has shown paul something and writers have commented that paul's life in some ways, you don't want to push it too far, parallels the life of Jesus. In Luke 9.51, the same author, Luke, writes Acts, he said that Jesus resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. What did Jesus know he was going to face at Jerusalem? A cross. But he determined that he was going to go there no matter what. And I want you to see what Paul says in Acts 20. Look at verse 17. This is when he calls now for the elders of the church. First he talks to the church, now the leaders. And he calls them to himself at Miletus. Acts 20, verse 17 says, And from Miletus he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, that's Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. 
which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. When Jesus uh, got Ananias' attention when Saul first got saved, he said to Ananias, he, Saul, who became Paul, is my chosen instrument, and I will show him, remember, how much he must suffer for my name. And Paul knew he was going to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit spoke something to Paul, not necessarily a word that we would be encouraged by, but notice it says this, except that the Holy Spirit, 23, solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. You know how sometimes we're, we're living our Christian life and we say, Lord, I just need a word from you. I need a word from the Spirit. Okay, bonds and afflictions are awaiting you. Pray, pray. it's kind of hard to receive, isn't it? Was that really you, Lord? Yes, if you want a word from me, Paul, about your immediate future, bonds and affliction are awaiting you. And in verse 24, if you have a new King James, it says, but none of these things move me. I ask you, what is it going to take to move you off your Christian path? A little persecution? little opposition, little overwhelmed by temptation. And is that going to move you? Don McClure, longtime Calvary Chapel pastor, tells a story. He said he, was, he had found this verse, Acts 20, 24, in the New King James, none of these things move me, and it became his life verse. And so whenever he was writing a, a note to people or an encouragement, that was his verse, Acts 20, 24, none of these things move me. Then Don went through a very difficult time in his life. I think it included many health challenges. And he wondered God, what God was doing. And so he said, Lord, I need to hear from you. I think he was walking outside. I need to hear from you. Please speak to me. What are you doing? And the Lord said, is this going to move you? And Don said, that's not fair. You can't use my own verse on me. You have a whole Bible to choose from. How could you use my verse? And you understand the implication. The question is, do you believe your verse? When you sign your little letters with your little encouragement verse, and I know how you guys are, you make your little fishy out of the little symbols on the keypad, and that's great. But do you believe that verse? You see, Don had to decide. And God spoke to his heart and said, is this going to move you? Is this what it takes to get you off track or to have you mail it in as a Christian? I ask you. As an American, what's the worst that happens to you? Somebody in a restaurant says, I don't want to hear that. Is that going to get you off track? Some family member persecuting you because you became a Christian? A fellow co-worker making fun of you at work, is that going to move you? A health challenge that you don't understand, God hasn't healed you yet, you're trying to make sense of it, is that going to move you? Paul says, none of these things move me. You see, he had made a decision, I want you to see what he says. He says, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course or my race and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, I've experienced his grace and I'm going to finish the race that he set out for me to run. 
I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep going. This is what Acts 20 is about. But before he left, he's much like Jesus in this sense. Remember, Jesus in John 14 is getting ready to die. He's 24 hours or less from the cross. And what does he say to the disciples? Let not, what? Your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there's many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. See, the disciples were all upset and they should have been the ones comforting Jesus. But what does he do as he's moving in the shadow of the cross, going to Jerusalem? He says, don't be troubled. And I don't know if Paul, like a good coach at the end of the season, pulled everybody aside in Ephesus one by one and said, this is your gift. You do this well. Don't let this uproar stop you. Don't let Demetrius and his group stop you. You run the race. This is an immoral city. I know it's going to be difficult. Press on. And Paul encouraged everybody there. And he also hugged them, as is clear by the language. He was greeting them and hugging them and maybe even giving holy kisses. And if you're a new Christian, you're going to have to get used to this. Now, this was an ancient practice, but, and in the church now we hug. And some of you are saying, I'm not a hugger. And when Christian men especially try to hug, it's kind of weird. Let's talk about football afterwards because I don't know about this, right? And there's some people in our fellowship that have decided that the holy kiss is still biblical. And you will know them by their fruits because they come up to me. <laughs> this is still practice in Europe. You guys know the little kiss on the cheek. And they come and they kiss me. And at first, I didn't know what to do. But we have a big guy in this fellowship. He's Samoan. And uh, I can't do anything when he decides to kiss me because he says, hello, Pastor Michael. He picks me up. My feet are dangling. I'm helpless. So I just received the holy kiss in the name of the Lord. And I pray there's a little extra anointing on it. Anyway. So, after the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And he embraced them, New King James, and departed to go to Macedonia. And I'm sure... Think about what's going on now. If he thinks this this is his last time, let me ask you. If you knew you had 24 hours, let's say that you went on a mission trip and you had the chance to lead five or ten people to Christ and you had a sense that you'd never be back. It was something like this. Have you ever said this to somebody? I'm not sure I'll see you again. This side of heaven. I'll see you on the other side. What would you want to say If you had a a last 24, you know, that's what John chapters 13 through 17 are all about. Jesus' last 24 hours. And he tells them, love each other. There is a heaven. The Holy Spirit's coming. I'm praying for you. Be one. You see, these, these were the things that were important. And I'm sure as Paul was having individual meetings and corporate meetings with the people, he had that sense, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to see your face again this side of heaven, so stay true to God. And he would say later to the elders of the Ephesian church, he said, look, I've spent three years and I've warned you over and over again, savage wolves are coming in. They're not going to spare the flock. They're going to try to win disciples for themselves. So you stay true to the word of God. You follow the pattern because he knew he was going to leave it to them. And I was in uh, India and Nepal in 2001. I got to lead a brother and sister to Christ literally in a hut. 
And then a hotel worker was on his break. I shared the gospel with him. He got on his knees right in the middle of a hotel in Nepal, forsook the gods of Hinduism and gave his life to Jesus Christ. I've got photos of both of those encounters. I thought I'd be back to Nepal. I haven't been back. That was 13 years ago. I don't know if I'm going back, but one thing I know, when you uh, live your life and you share the gospel, it's kind of like throwing that rock into a little pond of water. It ripples out what you do. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And Paul was going around and he's saying, look, I don't know if I'm going to see you guys again, but I think he was taking each person aside and saying, you know what? This is your gift. Hang in there. Press on. Use your gifts and don't let the uproars in this city stop you. Now, in Acts 20, verse 2, notice what happens. When he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, so now he's about to depart to go to Macedonia. And the main regions of Macedonia were Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica. He came to Greece. Most scholars agree that his time in Greece was specifically in Corinth. But he's going now through Macedonia. And there's something else that's happening with this trip to Jerusalem. Paul's doing something else. He knows he's got to go there to testify But he's been collecting something all along. You know what it was? It was an offering for the poor church in Jerusalem. They were hurting, and he had asked the different Gentile congregations to start collecting an offering. He wrote about this in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He wrote about this in Romans 15. He wrote about this in 2 Corinthians 2 and 7. The main chapters of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that talk about God loves a cheerful giver and follow through with what you've committed to on giving are not a weekly offering context of a local church. They are about what people committed to to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. And Paul saw that offering as an expression of the gospel and he believed that when the Gentile churches helped the the Jewish church by practical means, the wall would come down between Jew and Gentile. And that was part of Paul's mission. He said, I want to get that offering there. I want to show you what's going on. So go to second, uh, first go to Romans 15. Romans 15. Next book to your right. Romans 15, Paul mentions this offering. And uh, just a side note, while he's in Greece for these three months that we just read about in Acts 20, verse 2, most scholars believe he writes Romans from Corinth during those three months. Romans is the manifesto of the gospel. It is the, the fullest treatment of the gospel of grace. If you want to understand grace, read Romans and read it over and over and over again. And that's where Paul penned the book of Romans. And when he writes Romans, he writes these words. This is uh, chapter 15. Pick it up in verse 27. Uh, no, 25. He says, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. Romans 15, 25. From Macedonia and Achaia, I've been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put, out, put my seal on the fruits, this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Rome, uh, of you to Spain." And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul asks for prayer. And sometimes when you're embarrassed, somebody says to you, how can I pray for you? I, I really don't want you to pray for me. Look, if someone says, how can I pray for you? Tell them, give them your laundry list and tell them, I'll take all the prayer I can get. 
Please pray for us. Pray for us as leaders. Paul says, here's how you can pray for me, that I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that uh, my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. And all God's people said. Now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is the other part of what's going on. Paul had sent uh, Titus to Corinth. He wanted to know, A, how the church was doing, and B, if they had followed through with the offering, because the Corinthians had, had committed to it, but then they seemed to be kind of backing away because time had elapsed. So Paul was a little nervous about it. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12. He says, now when I came to Troas, we'll, we'll see this in a moment, for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord... I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God. Paul said when he was waiting and Titus didn't meet him at the rendezvous point, he was nervous and he was wondering what was going on and he was worried. You say, now wait a minute. Paul wrote Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It's one of my life verses. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote that. He believed it, right? He believed it. But I still think he needed to quote it for himself. You see, he was human. And all the verses about worry are in the Bible are there because we worry that's why they're written and paul who wrote philippians 4 6 and 7 even had times of worry and unrest and if you're a worrier the reason that you worry is because you care my mother still worries about me she'd prefer that i stayed home 24 hours a day seven days a week just never leave the house again that way you'll be safe i said mom you got to live and then I went over to Jerusalem and I've done some other. You're a world traveler now, aren't you, Michael? I mean, you can see the Italian vein begin to quiver. You're a world traveler. <laughs> Said, I'm in God's hands, Mom. Right? <laughs> now, when we worry about our children, any, any moms here worry about their kids? Okay. And are some of your kids older and you still worry about them? See, if you worry, it means you care. Now, if you're always worried about yourself, that's one thing. Now you've got other issues. And we can set up a counseling appointment for that. But if you're worried about others, it means you care about them. And you know, when we're losing sleep over things that we might be kind of chomping on or they're running through our heads, the best thing we can do is, look, we're going to go through this, but then we have to give them to God because I can't protect my child out there in the world. I can't save people's souls that I'm worried about. If someone's got an illness, I can't heal their illness, but I can bring them to God. And that's what I try to do with my worries, and I hope you'll try to do that too. Cast them to Him because He cares for you. Cast your anxiety. But Paul was definitely worried, and he said, look, I had no rest, verse 13, from my spirit. And then he mentions, we are the fragrance of Christ to God. How many of you guys have ever been dragged into one of those fragrance stores by your wife? Now, um, we've done this, honey, and my wife's on the front row, so I've got to be very careful. So guys, pray for me. But anyway, I bought stuff too. There's a men's section in these stores. Now, 
I can't get over the little girly bag that they hand you. But so I went in there and I used to you try out stuff. What do you think of that? You know, I had to, you know, come in touch with my masculinity right before I walked in, but hey, it was all right. So and so here's here's the image, and I preached this to you when we were in Second Corinthians. I want when someone meets me to ask this question. What is that? And I want to say, fragrance by Christ. <laughs> now, if there's any entrepreneurs in, all I want is 10%. Yeah. No, this is a spiritual thing. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Well, Acts chapter 20 certainly reveals the shepherd's heart of the Apostle Paul. And he did have a shepherd's heart. And, you know, one of the things that he says in this chapter that is really important, it's always important to a Bible teacher, it's really important to anyone who wants to lead the flock faithfully, is to not shrink from declaring anything that is profitable. That's Acts 20, verse 20. And what's profitable is the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is alive and powerful. The Word of God is profitable for rebuke, teaching, correction, training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I just gave the summation of Hebrews 4.12 and 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. See, what a shepherd does is he teaches. It's one of the main callings of a shepherd. It's one of the main ways that he feeds the sheep, protects the sheep, guards them from um, predators is by teaching them, equipping them, warning them. And that's what Paul Paul did. He said, I I solemnly testified both the Jews and Greeks. And Paul didn't hold back. He talked about repentance and faith in Acts 20.21. This is what we need to do. We need to tell people that when they are coming to Christ, they are turning from idols to God. They're turning from doing it their way to doing it God's way. And Paul says, this is, this is what I did. You know, I didn't do it without opposition, obviously. The Holy Spirit kept warning Paul that, you know, chains and difficulty was ahead in every place he went. Bonds and afflictions awaited me. He said, but look, I'm, I'm going to finish the race, and I just want to park here and make an application point. And there's so many things against us, brothers and sisters, that want to hinder us from finish, finishing this race. Sometimes it's the adversaries, sometimes it's spiritual warfare, sometimes it's our flesh, sometimes we're just tired, sometimes we want to give up. And what we're called to do is keep on running and not to quit. That's the image of Hebrews 12, that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, we're to, we're to run this race with endurance as we look to him. And so that's what Paul wanted to do. He had his mindset on finishing well, finishing strong. Thank you.